transformative that happens. Um, I don't know about you, but having to study scripture for two different degrees meant this became homework. And there were times where my relationship with scripture was the I don't want to do homework. But now being outside of school, when I come here and when I try to encourage other people to come here, I always reiterate that this book has one purpose. One purpose to shed light, to point us in the direction of the Messiah who gives us the insight and the ability to be in a relationship with a God who has only ever wanted relationship with us. One job. Sometimes we're watching football and when a kicker misses their, their feed goal, you hear from multiple people in the room, you literally had one job. One job. And so there are a lot of people who come to this book and think it is a book of stories, who think this is the prescription that helps us live our life. My assertion today is that this book has one job, and it is to give us Jesus so that we can understand the kind of relationship that we are in with God. So is it helpful? Does it give us different things to live by so that we can access this God and we can continue to be in relationship with Jesus? Yes, but that's not the point. We come here so that we can know what God is trying to tell his people, what God is trying to do in his people and with his people. So it is my hope over the next couple conversations that we have that the familiar prayer that we have known as the Lord's Prayer that you have recited or that you've heard people recite, and whether you haven't done it yourselves, you've seen it in the movies of any religious tinge, that people are coming to that prayer. And I said last week, while we know it as the Lord's Prayer, it is really our invitation into relationship. It is a prayer that God has given through Jesus to his people. And so for a short recap, we went through the first two clauses. Our Father, what it means for him to call us his children and for us to say we acknowledge you as our God. We step into the legacy that you have created for me and we claim to be part of your family. I accept your adoption of me. For God to say anyone can say this prayer, for Jesus to invite every person here is revolutionary. Because as he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus is saying, in me, the kingdom is here and it is now. We did this last week, so if you want to go and listen, you can go. But today we're at Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread. And I am so excited to, to dive into the nuances of Scripture because this is where it becomes alive. This is where we no longer are just memorizing and reciting the things that we've heard our whole lives, but we are able to understand how this is our reality. Give us this day our daily bread. I think that we often rush through these first two thoughts of God being our Father 
and God's kingdom being ushered in through Jesus and God's kingdom being ushered in through us, Jesus, in you and I. That it gives us a skewed version by the time we get to give us our daily bread because give us is the thing that we're asking for. And we have been taught to pray and bring our petitions and our requests to the feet of the cross. And so when we get to this part of the prayer, we know it. We get it. Give us the things that we need, we long for, we desire. We are going through the stuff. But if we haven't spent time in the Our Father and in the kingdom come in me and through me, then the request of giving us our daily bread just becomes a laundry list of our musings. And not that they aren't meaningful and not that they aren't powerful, but I think that they will be painted differently if we start with our Father and our kingdom come in and through me. Because how my requests are then shaped, how my petitions are then brought in earnest, is a game changer. Give us this day our daily bread. It is very easy for us to let greed get in the way of God's grace. We have to seek to honor his name, pray for the kingdom to be our reality. Pray for his kingdom to be in us so that the will of God on earth is a reality. Because we get to a slippery slope if we bypass those first two statements. We, we come to an off-ramp for us to present all of our hopes and desires as a muddled, jumbled just stream of our consciousness and our fleeting realities of today. And we say fleeting, but that is really all that we have, the realities of today. So given the choice, would we start with our Father, hallowed be your name, or just whatever things are clouding our vision, and are adding chaos currently. So last week we had the story of an intense son who claimed these things by saying, Our Father, and by saying, In me the kingdom is coming and the kingdom is here. That is an intense identity for who Jesus is. And if the one job of this book is to lead us to Jesus, then as we sit and as we reflect on the ministry of Jesus to help us understand the God that we are in relationship with, we can reflect on one thought that the, the community and the society of the biblical world had regarding Jesus. And the thought that I'm going to bring to your attention is that of Jesus' day, he was easily referenced and called a glutton and a drunk. A fascinating tidbit to bring up this Sabbath as we worship. A drunk or a wine-bibber. We know this because the crowd that Jesus hung out with were the outcasts, the marginalized. And so very easily, Jesus gains an unfavorable reputation among the people. What's fascinating about this phrase, glutton and a wine-bibber, is it comes from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. In a story and in a time, in a place where some parents had to bring their son to the elders. They had to say, 
Our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a wine-bibber. And so to the community, to that they say, stone him to death. So when the people of Jesus' day called him, the Messiah, a glutton and a wine-bibber, they are not only saying, look at this person who associates with all of the wrong people. They are saying, stone him. This is the rebellious son. They're saying, kill him. This is the Jews' way of saying he's being disloyal to our traditions and he deserves death. But Jesus is not unloyal, disloyal. He is being the most authentic to what God, our Father, is. And he is associating with the outcasts and the marginalized and the voiceless. This was his deliberate sign of what the kingdom looked like. This reference, one of the Bible's biggest symbols and analogies, a great festival banquet. Give us our daily bread. We see Jesus feeding people often. Having lunch with sinners. You know the song, the Zacchaeus, you know, we did the, we did the motions when we were little. We see him feeding the multitudes. We see the power in the Last Supper. So while we often take this part of the prayer to ask for our provisions, and while that's completely true, I think we miss some of its depth. That our daily bread is more than our desires, our wants, our needs. And needs are real because we need but that this part of giving our daily bread is an extension of the ushering in of the kingdom that we have just referenced in, in the clause before in this prayer. This is about God's dimension coming to birth within our earthly dimension. Daily needs, daily desires point beyond themselves to God's promise that the kingdom where death and sorrow will be gone. Some people would suggest as they, as they look at this to take all of our earthly needs away. And I don't actually think that's what we're saying here. I think what we're saying here is that this kingdom that Jesus has just referenced is the one that's going to answer all of the needs. And because we have focused there first when we come to this part of the prayer, it looks just a little bit differently. It's not just a list of the things that our life could use. It is a prayer. It is a petition. It is our heart longing for the kingdom. So act in and through me so that the things that I am experiencing, the places where there is need for God, can be affected by God. Give me this day our daily bread. There is a provision for you. God already knows your desires. But to take to prayer this clause to take it seriously. Are we seeking the bread of life or the bread that is perishable? Are we seeking a magic genie or the eternal God? This clause encourages us to pray specifically. 
because the provision that we need from him will be kingdom ushering, will be earth shattering, because our prayer is not just a resignation for his will to be done. It is an invitation for him to do his will on earth in and through me. But as we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And as we get clouded by all the laundry list of things we want God to intervene with, it is also very easy to forget those who pray without. So part of this prayer becomes powerful when we recognize the banquet table that Jesus is opening right now. That anybody who prays this prayer has access to the God of life. The only reason we're able to claim this hope and to sit in this assurance at his table is because Jesus made a habit of celebrating with all the wrong people. So we pray, give us this day our daily bread to be transformed. For him to give us something that changes the kingdom. We think about the power of communion, the power of what it means to enter sacred time and sacred space to proclaim the blood and the body of Christ. This is what we say, this is what we mean, this is what we hope, and this is what we live when we simply recite this part of the prayer. So forgive us our debts as we forgive those Oh, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Something we have an, a hard time understanding today in 2019 in our culture, in our society. I think that tolerance has taken the place of what biblical forgiveness was supposed to do. So if we reflect on a story that Jesus told, a story of a man running. Today, we know running has its health benefits. We have gone as a church to Roar Park. We, we have seen the celebrities get in their tracksuits and they are ready to sweat it out. We know that the story of running is positive by and large. But if we reflect on the story that Jesus told of a man running, we'll see how revolutionary it was because he had a run with a different intention. In Jesus's world, the older you were, the more senior you were, it was likely the slower you moved within the community. Because with each step, with each intention of movement, there was wisdom. There was a gravitas. So for you to be moving quickly meant that you were still in the midst of figuring things out but to move slowly meant you could take your time because you could see. To walk slowly was to show your dignity. To walk slowly was an illustration of the depth of your wisdom with a weight in every step. So when Jesus tells a story about a man running, there's even something more shocking to the people who are listening. This is a man running to greet someone, running to greet someone who has rejected him, who has brought shame and disgrace to the entire family name. You and I call it the parable of the prodigal son. But what if for just a second today, this Sabbath, we called it the parable of the running father? 
in a time that is difficult for us to forgive, more than just an I'm sorry, because we teach our little ones that, but do we teach what's happening in our heart with that, or does I'm sorry release us? This idea of wanting to mend relationship. Maybe not to the state that it was before, and maybe you will never get there. But the idea that we exist to pray this prayer, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, is to mean, is to say, is to live. That we are in relationship with the God of reconciliation. Reconciliation to himself and reconciliation to each other. And it is a hard concept to grasp. The Jews called Jesus a glutton and a wine-bibber because they wanted to kill him. Even then, they had a hard time understanding that what they wanted most, to be in the favor of God, to be God's people, to be reconciled back to him, was actually meaning to reconcile outward to one another living in service to each other, and as we here at Bonita say, living sacrificially toward one another. So think about this for just a moment as, as we begin to close. Israel wanted a king and a kingdom that would liberate them from oppression and exile. We know this. This is why our Jesus story is so fascinating, because we know they, weren't, they were looking for a Messiah, but they weren't looking for him quite specifically. And the prophets wrote all about this. We know that they are looking for some earthly king. So let's consider this. Jewish prophets wrote that oppression and exile of the Jews came because of Israel's sin. The sin of Israel was of their own doing, according to the prophets. So if Israel is set free from oppression and set free from exile, and if they are liberated, what they are searching for, then this is literally the forgiveness and the releasing of their sins. And that is what Jesus came to do, and that is how intricate and how beautiful the Jesus story is. So you and I sit able to Approach forgiveness because we have been forgiven by a father that runs toward us. In your situations where forgiveness is needed, where reconciliation is needed, where it is harder than hard. Is the father running after you the inspiration and the motivation to run after God's people in your lives? This is where we live. This is where we sit with an intense son and intention. This is our life as we wait for, for God to let us experience the removal of sin forever, for us to no longer experience that. He gave you a life full of goodness here, though. He wants that for you here, which is why we have a book with one purpose, one job, to allow that to allow us to access that. The tension you and I face in this world will become so much more colorful in a positive way if we splash a little Jesus on it and if we run toward it like a father running after us. I don't know how you're going to make it through the things. Actually, I do. Jesus knows. 
Jesus is here. Jesus has made a promise. That is the kind of God that we serve. He keeps his promises and he is faithful. And you have come into a worship community because either you want that or you know that. So this is our reality. This is our kingdom come. This is him changing in us and through us and using us to usher in this reality to the world. So you have three options that I shared with you last week. Go through phrase by phrase and find out what it inspires you to pray. Repeat the main words one a day. Our Father, our Father, our Father. If you did that last week, you should be at the the kingdom, the power, the glory right now. Or just repeat it slowly with a new kind of intention this time. This is our prayer. This is our invitation. This is our life. This is not just words in a book. This is not just scripture for us to pattern something after. If your life doesn't look good, then we need to do something differently about the way we approach his good word. This is my prayer for you, and this is my prayer that I hope you experience. Amen.